Okay. It is my, uh, yeah, my great honor and pr- privilege to be here with you tonight at the most beautiful college campus in Korea. Is that right? That's, that's what I hear and that's, that's what I see. I actually got into a, a little bit of an argument with uh, some staff members recently. I had visited here many years ago. I used to have a friend who was a student here at KU. And, uh, and I, I came to visit the campus once and I was blown away by, because I had been in Korea for a while and didn't see grass anywhere. And then I came to KU and you guys have grass and it's beautiful. And uh, so the argument kind of came when I was talking with Pastor Myungwa, who you saw in the video, and uh, she is an Iwa grad, and she was like, actually, Iwa is the most beautiful college campus in Korea. I'm like, I don't think it is, actually. I'm pretty sure it's not. I'm pretty sure it's KU. And so that, that's the conviction of my heart. KU is a, a beautiful campus. You are beautiful people. I actually haven't been to a large group at KU before. I've been here a couple of times just uh, hauling equipment back and forth for, for the tech team. Uh, but I haven't been here on a Tuesday night with you guys here, and so it's my honor to do that. I realized today that uh, as I was looking through the lineups of different preachers for Emmaus for our three campuses for the year, that I am the oldest person who will preach at Emmaus this entire year for all three campuses. I, I just had a birthday last week. Any guesses as to how old I am? 32? 38? <laughs> 29, okay. I am actually 35 years old. Last week, I'm actually the same age as Pastor Christian. Just born later in the year, so if Pastor Christian was speaking, he'd be the oldest. But uh, I, I am uh, the oldest. My name is, again, John. Uh, Jay, he mentioned that my name is John. I am the worship pastor, uh, or more specifically, the quote-unquote executive director of worship for New Philadelphia Church. It means I get to oversee the praise teams and tech teams for all of our campuses, for the ones in Seoul and Busan and Sydney, Australia, as well as these fine people here like Johnny and like Sarah, and their teams, uh, I get to oversee what goes on for Mance as well. So I'm happy to be here to see Johnny Lee praise and see you guys worship together. It's, uh, it's always a privilege and delight to worship with, you know, any, any New Philly uh, group that we have. There's a, a beautiful thing that God's doing in New Philly as a whole, but specifically in Emmaus. And you guys, many of you were at the retreats this past weekend. It was good? Yeah. It was good. Okay, that response is a little bit better than what Jay, he got before. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we, we, we've been praying to the retreat. We've been believing God for great things for the retreat. We know that uh, every year, every semester, God shows up in, in different ways, but in powerful ways at the retreat at Emmaus. I used to go to Emmaus retreats regularly, actually. I was a regular for a while, and then I decided to retire from Emmaus retreats. <laughs> Because I got old, or I, well, I'm not, okay, I'm not old, I'm not old, um, but I was, the last one I was at, I was there with my wife, uh, I have a beautiful wife, her name's uh, Nita, she's one of the pastors at New Philly as well, and uh, we were sitting together at one of the debrief meetings at like 
it must have been like three in the morning or something. It was like, and we were so tired. We're like, how do these people do it? I don't even remember being able to have debriefing with actually like thinking through things clearly at three in the morning. Uh, but that's what you guys do in college ministry. We bless you. Now I just pray for you. I bless you. I'm excited for it. And I come to like large group at seven at night and that's way better for me. So, uh, my, I'm from Canada in case you're interested from a city called Winnipeg. Anyone from Canada here? No crickets, crickets, no. Okay. One Canadian, uh, from a city called Winnipeg, right in the middle of Canada, very flat, very cold, lots of mosquitoes. That basically sums up where I'm from. Although it is beautiful. I have a beautiful daughter named Olivia. She's now nine months old. She is amazing. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's an amazing thing to be a father. It's a whole new season of life for me. And now when I, when I minister, I find myself at times ministering kind of as, as a father in ways that I didn't before. And, uh, yeah, I remember the first time I was, I was praying for someone at church and I was praying while experiencing the heart of God, the father in a completely different way as a father with a daughter and so it's a beautiful thing that, uh, that God has done in my life, and it's an amazing season. So anyways, that's a little bit about who I am and where I'm from. And yes, so within the context of you just coming back from the retreat, I know that God did a lot of great things. I heard some stories about what, what went on. It, uh, I know that you know, in different ways, God showed up powerfully, that there were different manifestations of the Holy Spirit that might have been a new thing for some of you to see God do things that, uh, that you haven't seen him do before. Uh, something called the fire of God that you may have heard of for the first time, you know, when you were there, that sort of thing. Uh, but what I feel that the Lord wants to communicate and release tonight in this group is a vision for what the Christian life looks like, not for a weekend and not for a month and not for a semester and not for a year, but for a lifetime. What the Christian life looks like for a lifetime. Now I've been alive for 35 years. I've gained a little bit of life experience by now. And I have it's sad to say I've seen a lot of people who were once on fire for God when we were younger together in college and out of college and, you know, different seasons who for various reasons just lost that fire for God and lost that heart of love for God. Although God's heart did not change for them one bit, their heart toward God cooled off and they're in completely different places in life right now. They didn't stay the course. They haven't stayed on track and they're in a completely different place in life right now because of it. But I feel the heart of the Lord for you tonight is to release vision for this and understanding from the word of God for this about something I call long distance Christianity. That's not like a long distance relationship, totally different. It's more like long distance running. Any of you guys do any long distance running? Long distance running? Okay. Like how far? What kind of like races? Yeah, 
Four laps at 1,600 meter? Yeah, that's good. And five kilometer races? Very cool. Anyone else? Yeah? Also like a bi biathlon? Right, were you a better person for it? Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Whether it's punishment or not, uh, there's something very special I feel, and, and something, in a sense, spiritual about long distance running. I, I've had the privilege of running a couple of marathons, and marathons are are no joke. They're, it's technically 26.2 miles, which is 40 two kilometers or something like that. And, uh, and so it's kind of like the standard for like the big kind of long distance run, you know, it's like, it's like a life goal for a lot of people just to finish a marathon, just like to cross the line, however long it takes. And, uh, so God taught me a lot about life actually through running long distance. And it's actually I believe the most uh, repeated athletic illustration in the Bible. It's a few times. Uh, different authors in the New Testament refer to long-distance running to communicate something about Christianity. You know how at New Philly, if you've been around for a while, Pastor Christian, he likes to talk about football. You've heard him talk about NFL, about the Eagles, you know, before about Mike Vick, but Mike Vick's now with the New York Jets, and so they've got Nick Foles, and you may not care at all about that, but Pastor Christian loves football, so he communicates through that. Well, the biblical authors communicated through long-distance running. That was the image they used, partially because it's most likely the oldest sport in mankind, partially because... It doesn't require anything but a human body, no equipment, no balls, no nothing. You're just running, right? And you may have heard it said before that the Christian life is not a sprint. It's more like a long distance run. And that's a very true thing. You see, people love sprinting. There's a lot of flash, a lot of glamour in sprinting. If I were to ask you, who holds the world record for the 100-meter sprint? Who would you say? Usain Bolt. I heard at least five people say that together, and there are probably more who are just thinking it and not caring to say it. A lot of people know who the fastest man in the world is currently. Usain Bolt. It's like 9.7 now, something? Seconds in the 100-meter. It's, it's fast. It's really fast. But if I were to ask you, who holds the world record for the marathon? You would say? <laughs> Unfortunately not. I wish it was. I am nowhere near. Uh, and I should say, I haven't run marathons in a lot of years. So I'm, I'm in a different season of life now with a daughter and you know, marriage and that sort of thing. It doesn't work quite the same way. But it's not John Newfeld. It's this guy. His name is Dennis Camedo. You can remember the name if you want. Dennis Kamado. He just actually, just this past weekend, he broke the world record for the marathon. He did it in Germany, in Munich, I believe, or Berlin, one of the German cities. And uh, he ran 26.2 miles in two hours, two minutes, 
and 57 seconds. So that broke the barrier. It was a big deal. It broke the barrier of like two hours and three minutes. The big barrier that people are trying to break is the two hour barrier. He's like less than three minutes away from that. So this guy, he's from Kenya, just like all the best marathon runners are from Kenya. (laughs) Uh, It's getting kind of predictable that way. It's hard to beat a Kenyan in long distance running, but, uh, you know, just in the same way that people love the flash and the glamour, you know, and the endorsements. Like, Dennis Kamado is not getting, you know, I don't think he's getting Nike ador- endorsements or, like, you know, Adidas endorsements. Uh, Usain Bolt is getting a lot of those. But, you know, it doesn't work quite the same way for a marathon runner. In the same way that people love the flash and the glamour of that, people in the church can easily love the flash and the glamour of immediate short-term manifestations of God's power, the fire of God, different things that God's doing at an event, at a retreat, and, and different ministers of that can come off as flashy or glamorous without them even intending to, just because people love that. They love that sort of thing, and that's all important. It's great, and it's a valuable part of our life in Christ. But those things by themselves if you take away everything else and you just leave those things there, it amounts essentially to nothing. You know, if by the end of your life, all you had was this amazing encounter with God when you were 19 years old, and that was it, and you give that to God and say, this was my encounter with you when I was 19 years old, God would say, and then what did you do? You know, what, what was the rest of your life? Be like, but God, it was amazing. It was flashy. It was incredible. You know, I had this incredible encounter with you. And I would say to you, I, I gave you a life, not an experience. What are you going to do with your life? How did you manage your life? How did that work out for you? And so what we're going to do tonight is look at three keys to long distance Christianity And they're all found in the book of Hebrews, okay? Three keys that the Bible gives uh, through the author of Hebrews about living long-distance Christianity. Are you ready for it? Do you want it? I tell you, God wants this. So if you want it and God wants it, that's going to do something good inside of you. I promise you, okay? Uh, So this is the Word of God. Open up to Hebrews 12. Hebrews is near the end of the Bible. It's before James, after Philemon. Give you a minute to find it. Looking at Hebrews 12. Yeah, if you've got your smartphone, it's way easier. You just click a few buttons and you are, and you're there. Okay. The first key for running long-distance faith is this. Run naked. Do you all catch that? Do you hear me? Run Naked. Now, this is not physical at all, and I'll explain that in a minute. You can write it down, and then we'll get into the word. Run naked. 
All right, you, you're going to wait for me to unpack this. You're like, okay, I want to hear what he's going to say about this. How is this going to work out? How, this isn't the Bible? Like what? Uh, okay, Hebrews 12, verse 1, it says in the NIV, which is what I have tonight, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Okay, what the, the image that the author of Hebrews, now I'm calling him the author of Hebrews, I'm not giving him a name because we don't actually know who it is. Uh, just kind of aside, I'm going to keep using this awkward title, the author of Hebrews for the whole night. Uh, it might be Paul, it might be Apollos, another uh, you know, church leader at that time. Could be, it could be even Priscilla, a woman, a lot of people think. It could be a woman who wrote this book. I don't know. But the author of Hebrews, he says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. He's giving a picture of what long-distance running, or even any running at that point, looked like in that day and age. Now, this is first century. Uh, this is within the context of the Roman Empire, and they had athletic games there where it was, I'm sorry, women, ladies, it was only men who were invited at that time to these games. If it was women invited to you, they probably wouldn't have stripped down, but it was only men, and so they thought they could do that. It's kind of like going to a Jimjaban or a Moyotan. You know, if you ever do that, men only, we can do that. Uh, and women only, you can do that there as well. And so they discovered that the most efficient way, the fastest way of running is to take off all of your clothes. Now, at that time, their clothes were a little bit baggier as well. They wore robes. They wore clothes that would have been difficult to run in. And so they didn't have tight-fitting clothes at that time. They didn't have spandex. It hadn't been invented yet. Uh, it was just... They, they just took off their clothes and they realized that's how you're going to get your fastest run. If I want to run this race to, run this race to win... I'm not going to keep my robe on. I'm not going to keep these things that hinder me, that slow me down. I'm going to take them off, and then I'm going to run. And so he's saying here, in comparison to our Christian life, in reference to our Christian life, if there's something that's slowing you down for the long-distance run, take it off. You know, if it's hindering you, why are you allowing it to hinder you when your intention and your desire is to run and to run well? And he breaks it up into two things, actually. He says, first, uh, he, said, he says, everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. I'm going to tackle sin first. So he says, the sin that so easily entangles, take that off. The sin that you're involved in right now, that you're struggling with, that you're wrestling with, that you're getting caught up in, take it off. You know, you don't, if you're in Christ, if you're a believer in Jesus, you don't actually have to be trapped by sin anymore. You don't have to be a slave to sin. You're now dead to sin and you're alive to God in Christ. You have the capacity, if you're a Christian, to not sin because you're actually dead to it now. You can actually say no to sin. You know, before you came to Christ, you didn't have that capacity. Before you believed in Jesus, you were actually a slave to sin, the Bible says. You couldn't help it. You had no choice but to sin. But now in Christ, you have the choice to simply not sin. You can do it by the Spirit of God, by the, the blood of Jesus that covers you. 
And so those things like bitterness, like jealousy, like pride, you know, if you're caught up in bitterness, I think of times in my life when I've been bitter, you know, someone did me wrong. Someone like, someone said something about me or, you know, confronted me in a completely unloving way or, you know, accused me falsely, you know, I've seen myself get caught up in bitterness. Like even when I'm trying not to, I'm trying to like, you know, I'm just going to pretend that I'm not bitter, but inside I actually am. And I'm thinking about it all night and I can't actually go to sleep because I'm bitter about something that happened to me. You know, all I need to do is confess that to the Lord to bring it to him and say, Lord, I'm struggling with this bitterness, but I'm not going to do anymore. I forgive that person. They haven't asked for my forgiveness, but that's okay. I'm going to choose to forgive them. I'm going to leave that with you. I know that you know who I am. I know that you see things about who I am, and I'm going to content myself in that, in your estimation, in your view of who I am. And as soon as you do that, it's like, it's like you were, you had these clothes back on you or you had a weight attached to your ankle and it just came off, you know, and you're free again to run unhindered. The sin that so easily entangles you. It's like, it's like the image of, is of something tangling your feet up, you know? If you're allowing yourself to stay in sin, you're choosing not to run, essentially. You're choosing to let yourself be slowed down in the race of life that God has called us to. So the sin that so easily entangles, just bring it to the Lord, you know, and confess your sin. 1 John 1, 9, it's a, it's a verse everyone should memorize. Confess your sin if we, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Just bring it to the Lord, you know? That's sin. But beyond that, he says, uh, let us throw off everything that hinders. It's, inter- it's interesting he, he breaks us into two different groups, right? There's a word and between these two things, which suggests they're actually two different things. There's sin that entangles us, and then there are other things that hinder us as well. Things that aren't sin. Imagine that. We've got things in our life that can potentially be, in and of themselves, they can be completely okay. They aren't sin, you know, by themselves. There's nothing sinful about them, but they're still slowing us down, and they're keeping us from living the full life that God intends for us to live. Things like, you know, a really common uh, illustration of this or uh, example of this is, is like social media, like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all these things. Beautiful things. It's not sin. It's amazing. If you use them well, it can bring great glory to God by using Facebook well, Twitter well, you know, Instagram well. But if you get caught up in them and you find out that, over time, wow, this is causing me to be less in love with Jesus than I was before, then it's become something that's slowing you down in your long-distance run. It's not sinful. It's great, like movies, you know? It's not sin to go watch movies, you know? But if those movies are causing you to be less in love with Jesus, then it's become an issue, he says, just cast it off. You know, when you, when you identify, well, actually that's an issue, just get rid of it. You know, why, why settle for something temporary when God is so much greater and so much more wonderful than the things that you're enjoying in the here and now? 
Uh, there's that. There's other things like, like having a non-Christian boyfriend or girlfriend. I don't know if that's anyone's case here, anyone's story here. You know, the Bible does not say, the, this is what the Bible does not say. It, it does not say, thou shalt not have a non-Christian boyfriend or girlfriend. I never read it before, never seen it. It is not a command of the Bible. It does speak against marrying a non-Christian man or woman. But, you know, dating, that's not in and of itself. It's not categorized as sin by God in the Bible. But I can guarantee you that if you're dating someone who doesn't love Jesus, it's going to slow you down. It's going to steal your focus from him. It's going to cool off your heart. You know, the whole missionary dating thing, it, it doesn't work very well. Like, I, like this guy, he, you know, he might be interested in Jesus if I, you know, give in and I date him and bring him to large group and, you know, maybe he'll come to Christ. I believe he will, you know, and you, it, there actually, there are success stories in that that has happened, but that's not God's way, you know, ultimately for you to live. He's saying, don't get caught up in things that are going to slow you down even things that aren't sin, you know, what do you want more? What are your deepest desires? Really cast off those things. Um, question for you. If we were to take this room right here and I were to ask you, how do we get more oxygen in this room? Say we close the windows, close the doors, without simply pumping more oxygen in. Grow a tree. You can't grow a tree. There's no possibility. You, well, no. That, that's a good answer. You know, that's, I'm going to remember that for my next illustration. I'm going to think that through. That's really good, actually. More oxygen. I like that, though. <laughs> Have people leave the room. Okay. What else? Stop breathing. So there, there's no one in the room. It's just objects. No, the windows are closed. No, you can't. <laughs> These are creative answers, though, and I like them a lot. The only way, if you seal everything off, and you have the, you have the opportunity to open the door if you want to get things in and out, but ultimately, besides that, sealed off, and there are no trees in the room, the best way to get more oxygen in a room is to take things out of it. If we were to take out all of these uh, desks, all the chairs, every single object in here, you would have a greater capacity to have more oxygen in this room. Imagine it was cluttered with all sorts of stuff. Say there were big cabinets in here and, uh, and all sorts of chairs stacked over there, you know, and different things, you know, in the room. The best way to get more oxygen in this space is to simply take things out easiest way in the same way you've got a limited amount of space in your life in your heart say you could have all sorts of things in your heart things that are not necessarily sin that keep you occupied keep your mind from the things of god that keep you distracted in different ways if you want more of god the easiest way to get more of god in your life is to take other things out. 
you take other things out of your heart, you stop getting distracted by other things, you're going to have a greater capacity to receive from God. This is why, actually, this is the heart behind fasting. You know, if, if you ever wonder, like, why do people stop eating? You know, what, what is the purpose of that? The purpose of fasting, or whether it's eating or media or whatever you're, you're uh, not doing for a season, the purpose of it is to increase your capacity for God in your life. If you want more of God, you should try fasting. Food is amazing. Food is like God. We need food ultimately. If you stopped eating uh, indefinitely, you would stop living. Uh, but you can go different stretches of time without eating and take care of your body still. But just seek the Lord and say, God, I want more of you. I'm hungry for you. I'm thirsty for you. You know, that's one of God's ways for increasing our capacity for him. So that's all under the category of running naked. I'm, the next time, if I preach it again, I might say running naked and growing trees. <laughs> that's, that's one key to long distance running in the Bible. Second one, let's keep moving. Second one is to keep going to Jesus. The first one we said is running naked. Second key to long distance Christianity is to keep going to Jesus. Flip one page probably back in your Bible to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10 verse 19. says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. It says in verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, drawing near to God. If you're looking at the scope of what Hebrews is talking about, if you, it's important really when you study the Bible to get a sense of the context of passages. A lot of people take verses out of context and use them in different ways, not as good, but to understand where the author of Hebrews is, is getting this from and where he's going with this. If you look at verse or sorry, chapter one of Hebrews all the way to like the middle of chapter 10, so that's like nine and a half chapters at the beginning of the book. If you want a summary of that, here's a, here's a brief summary of Hebrews chapter 1 to 10, 18. Jesus is amazing. That's basically it. That is, he took 10 chapters to say, Jesus is amazing. And it's because of what he has done for us that we can have right relationship with God. It's because of his sacrifice on the cross that ended all other sacrifices that we can be right with God, that we can be reconciled to God, that we can be with God. And he's saying here, because of all of that, whenever you see therefore, it's important to ask yourself, why is the word therefore there? What's happening before this? 
So therefore, because of Jesus being amazing and awesome, and because he died in our place for our sins to make us right with God, he says, well, since he did this, why don't you spend some time with God? You know, let us draw near to God because he's made it possible for us to do it. You know, there's no other religion in the world that allows you free access without striving, without earning anything, free access to be with God anytime you want, anywhere you want because of what Jesus has done. We don't realize how amazing this is. Like we have access to God. We can have fellowship with him right now here in this classroom. I can have fellowship with God on the bus and my commute, on the subway on my commute. Anytime I want to, I can be with God. I can listen to the voice of God. I can tell God what's on my heart. I can receive from him. I can do that anywhere, anytime because of what Jesus has done for me. In my classroom, while the professor is lecturing, I can be with God. I can zone out for just a minute and be with God because he's here with me right now. I don't encourage that. I'm sorry. Uh, you should worship God by being attentive to your professors all the time. That is an act of worship. But God's with you in the classroom. You know, you can, you can feel the peace of God in your exam. Johnny told me at an exam earlier today. I, I prayed the peace of God over you, Johnny, earlier today. He let me know. And so, I, you know, I prayed for him. Did you experience the peace of God? Okay. Very good. You can experience God anywhere because of what Jesus has done for us. So he's saying, why would you not come to him? It, the way has been made. You don't have to pay a dime. A sheep one or whatever currency you, you use, you know, you don't have to pay anything. You can be with him right now because the price has already been paid. A price that you could never pay, that no one could ever pay. That price has been paid so you can do the thing that is more incredible than anything else in the entire history of the world. You can be with the living God. So he's saying, come to him. Be with him anytime, anywhere. You know, it, it's not just like Jesus did that so that we can be with him once. Like he made a way so I could have this amazing encounter with him where I fell to the ground and I was taken up in this amazing vision or whatever else, you know, might've happened. And that was it. It's like, it's a continual thing. Uh, the apostle Paul, he says this in Ephesians five, he says, don't get drunk on wine. That's important for you all. Don't get drunk on wine. Don't do it. He says, but, <laughs> but be filled with the spirit. And when he says that in Ephesians five, he says the, the word, the verb he uses to be filled, the tense of it is the present continuous tense in the Greek. And so a better translation of that is to keep being filled with the spirit. Not to be filled once. It's not like I had, I got filled with the spirit. I got baptized by the spirit or whatever language you want to use. And that's it. It's like, you need to be filled with the spirit over and over and over and over and over again. D.L. Moody, Dwight Moody, he, uh, a minister who lived many years ago from Chicago in the States. He was asked, like he was a, he was a charismatic guy, believed in the, the Holy Spirit. And he was asked by these guys who were opposing his ministry you know, and who opposed the, the gifts of the spirit, essentially, kind of sarcastically. So 
Pastor Moody, right now, are you filled with spirit? Are you filled with the spirit right now? And he said, well, I am, but I leak. And that was the imagery he used because it's this imagery of like, we can be filled with the spirit, but we as humans can't just automatically keep the Holy Spirit filling us all the time. It's God's way of encouraging us to keep coming to him. You can do that every morning. I pray every morning. One of my prayers every morning, God, fill me with your spirit. Today, this day, I want to live filled with the spirit because I know that you've done this for me. I know that you've made it possible for me to be filled with the spirit. I just need to ask you. I just need to surrender myself to you and ask you, God, fill me with your spirit. And for those of you who had like powerful encounters with the Lord, you know, when you ask God regularly, God, fill me with your spirit. What typically doesn't happen is you fall on the ground and you like, you know, God, fill me, fill me with your spirit again this morning. And you know, like every morning, that's not, that's not what happens to me. You know, when I pray in the morning, it's, it's not about that. It's just about God filling this vessel with him. God, in the place of my surrender to him, God allowing me to be controlled by the spirit. That's why he compares it to alcohol, by the way, in case you didn't know in Ephesians five, like, why would he say, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. Why is that in the same sentence even? Uh, but it's because, you know, when you're drunk, if you've ever been drunk, I've never been drunk gratefully, but I've seen a lot of people who are drunk, who have been drunk. And, and when you're drunk, you lose control of your faculties, right? You, uh, you don't have the same kind of control over your body in a similar kind of way, when you're filled with the spirit, it's the Holy spirit. Who's really controlling your life. It's the Holy spirit who is having his way in you, working through you, moving through you. And that's a beautiful thing. It's interesting comparison. Uh, so yes, be filled with the spirits and keep coming, keep going to Jesus. There are two reasons I feel like, the author of Hebrews says this one is that it changes you when you keep going to Jesus, it changes your life. Every time you get a glimpse of Jesus, every time you have an experience with Jesus, every time you hear his voice, you become more like him actually. So this says what Paul says in second Corinthians three, he says, and we with unveiled faces, all beholding the Lord's glory are being transformed from glory unto glory. When you behold God, you become more like him every time. That's what happened to Moses. You know, that was, that was the context for what Paul was saying in second Corinthians that Moses would go up on the mountain and then he'd go into the tent of meeting and he'd, he'd have these encounters with God and his face would glow physically with the glory of God because he saw God. He was with God. And that's what God wants to do for us. Every time we have an encounter with him, we become more like him. It's been said, you become what you behold. That's true for all of life. If you, if you behold something evil, you're going to become more evil. You're going to become more like that thing that you're beholding. If you, be if you behold something beautiful, you'll become more beautiful. If you behold the most beautiful one, then you become more like him. When you keep going to Jesus, it changes you. 
You know, if you've got struggles with sin that you can't seem to shake, the answer is not primarily try not to sin. The answer primarily is go to Jesus. Like if you, for guys and girls, issues with lust, you know, the answer to that is not, I must not lust. I shouldn't lust. I won't lust. I can't lust, you know? And I'm thinking about what I'm lusting after the whole time. It's impossible, like telling a kid, don't think about, you know, ice cream. Don't think about ice cream. I won't think about ice cream. I'm still thinking about ice cream because I'm telling myself, don't think about ice cream, right? It's the same thing for issues of sin, like lust, you know? That's not the answer. I'm going to try really hard today to not lust. You know, I'm going to make that my goal. How about you make your goal? I'm going to walk with Jesus today. And that's going to cause that sin issue to lose its grip at least a bit. And over time, it it loosens entirely because your focus is Jesus, because you're becoming more like him as you behold him. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So that's the first thing. It changes you. Secondly, in terms of going to Jesus, it reminds you why you're running. Why am I running anyways? You know, that's very important for long distance running. Even when you're running like, like mid-range, like 1,600 meter or like longer distances, it's not an easy thing. And you might wonder in the middle of it, why, why am I doing this anyways? Especially if it's like, like a marathon, like it's, it's a long way. And you might wonder like, why? why? <laughs> I mean, why don't I just stop running and go home and sit on my couch and drink something and watch TV? Because that would be a lot more enjoyable right now. That would, you know appease my flesh or whatever it might be. When you're in the middle of like a big long distance run, it's very important to remember why it is you're running in the first place, you know, for an actual run that might be for the reward you get at the end. It might be for, uh, you know, completing a goal that you set out for yourself and just succeeding in that. It might be, you know, for a medal that you get, especially if you're after a victory, Reminding, reminding yourself, why am I running anyways? When you're with Jesus, when you keep coming to him, you remember that he is the most beautiful, most wonderful person in the universe. That there's nothing like being with him. You taste and see that he's good and it's what you want for the rest of your eternal existence. I just want to be with you because there's nothing better than that. Everything else I've tasted and it, it doesn't compare. You get... Like King David, he has these statements in Psalm 27, 4, in Psalm 63, these different passages he's writing in Psalms where he's saying, you know, all I want, God, is to know you. All I want is to be with you. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, beholding the beauty of God and inquiring of him in his temple. Psalm 63 says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in this dry and weary land where there is no water. David was king of the most, at that time, prosperous nation that we're aware of in the world. He had everything at his disposal. Everything he could have wanted in terms of physical desires, he had it. He had 
all the riches in the world, all the power in the world, all the wives. He had, he had everything he could want. And he said, ultimately, God, all I want is you. I've tasted the best of the best of the best in the world. And that leaves me only thirsty for you. Because I know that only you can satisfy in ways that these things could never satisfy. It reminds you of why you're running. Every time you come to Jesus, you're like, wow, this, this is why I do this. This is why I live. Now, you, you read about things in the news like, like ISIS, you know, things in the Middle East and Iraq and Syria and different places where Christians are being killed for their faith. And this passage has a bit more meaning for them, you know? Like, they have to really remember, why am I doing this? Is this really worth it? Like, really, I'm, gonna, I'm about to lose everything. I'm about to probably die if I stay here. Is this worth it? But if you go to Jesus, you remember that it's greater than anything, that he is more wonderful than anything and anyone. Keep going to Jesus. That is the second key that we find in the book of Hebrews for long-distance Christianity. And the third one, third one is this. Don't run alone. Don't run alone. We're going to just jump ahead. Basically one verse Verse 24 in chapter 10. It says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. To spur one another on, to keep meeting together, to do this life together. I'll tell you this, from my experience in long distance running, the most difficult thing I've ever done physically, now keep in mind, a marathon is 26.2 miles. The most difficult thing I've ever done physically was run a 15 mile training run by myself. Much more difficult for me than running 26.2 miles with a running partner. It was amazing. Like you think it's, it's almost twice the distance. Why is it so much more difficult to run half that, you know, by yourself? It's just the way things work. And some people run more easily than other people by themselves. Uh, different people are that way. But it's a reminder to me that God continually in the Bible exhorts us do these things together. Remember that you're part of the body. Remember that you're part of the bride of Christ. No one Christian can do it well on their own. I guarantee you that. If a Christian were to choose to live their Christian life on their own without any help, without anyone speaking into their life, just them and God, I guarantee you they would not reach the fullness of what God wants for them. Because that's just not the way God has designed our Christian life. If you want to run well for life, you got to do it with people. You got to be together with people. It's 
spurring one another on to make each other better. It says in, in Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It's this sharpening, it's this mutual edification, this mutual strengthening that we get when we do things together. I confess to you tonight that this probably one of my biggest struggles or has been in my life, at least in the past, is the struggle of wanting to do things on my own. It's such a Western thing. Hey, like if you're from the States or you're from Canada, especially like Western countries are so individualized. Like this is my life. I'm going to do it my way. You know, no one's going to tell me what to do. This is, this, is, this is how I do it, you know? And maybe some other countries, you know, in Asia are like that as well to a certain degree, but it's really strong. It actually, it really struck me when I first came to Korea, how much less it is here because people love doing things in groups here and people can't do anything unless it's in a group. And I remember thinking like, I'm, I'm like sitting after church. It was a different church one day and we're trying to decide what we want to eat, you know, and no one has an opinion and no one wants to move anywhere because we're all going to do it together. You know, I'm like, why can't I'm just going to go, I'm just going to go do my thing. See you guys later. I'm going to eat because that, that's what I do. Right. And that's, that's, that's the air we breathe growing up in the Western world. That's just how we're raised unintentionally. That's how we're raised to think this is just me, just me and Jesus. And we read the Bible that way, right? We, you look at the passages in scripture and, and you're always interpreting it. This is just me. This is who I am. I remember the first time revelation hit me that there was a passage of scripture in Ephesians and I, I forget exactly what, which one it was, but it was like the revelation hit me. Wow. This is not actually Paul writing to one person. He's actually writing to a, a group of people, to a church and to them together, you know? And I think, man, we miss out on so much and we hinder our own run. We hinder our own life with the Lord when we try to do things on our own. And you got things hidden inside, by the way, that you haven't told anyone. We all do, you know, or most of us probably do. Like there's stuff inside. We're like, I'm not going to tell anyone. I, I, I can just deal with that with the Lord. You know, just me and him. We got it. You know, I don't really need to say anything to anyone. That's a lie. Just to say it straight out to you, you know, it says in, you know, if it's a sin issue, it says in, you know, James five, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. There's a healing work that God wants to do deep inside of you. When you confess those things that you told yourself, I will never tell anyone about this. I tell you, New Philadelphia Church has more people who have confessed more junk than any other church I've ever seen. You know, it's, it's this thing called, well, it's part of this thing called H&D Ministry, Healing and Deliverance Ministry, uh, which is not just a ministry. It kind of infiltrates all of our ministries and uh, where we help people feel as safe as possible and as loved as possible to share your stuff. And we have people who 
who've confessed things like, I had an abortion. To the entire church. I, I had an abortion. That, w- that was my secret sin. That was my secret shame. But Jesus has redeemed me. And I know that I'm healed. And I know that I'm forgiven. And I know that I'm free. And I walk in that freedom now. Like that's, when I first saw that, I, and I, I, it was on video. You can, you can actually watch this video. It's from a few years ago. If you search New Philly cardboard testimonies. And maybe you've seen some cardboard testimonies before, you know, where people have a cardboard, piece of cardboard has like, this is who I was, and you flip it over, and this is who I am now because of Jesus. Uh, powerful. I remember showing that video to like some friends back home, and I had this friend like, are those real stories or are they just making that up? Like, is that for real? Do they do that? Like, that's crazy. You know, like, why would you ever do that? It's because when you run the race together, when you allow other people into your lives, you can experience a deeper level of freedom and joy than you've ever experienced in your life. I promise you. And God wants to do that for you. I had, I promised, I had no intention of saying any of this tonight. This is not in my notes. This is for people here. I don't know who it's for. Probably for everyone for, to some degree. But God wants you to know that tonight. Running the race together. We're the body. You know, that's what, that's what the Apostle Paul says. You know, the eye doesn't say to the hand, I don't need you. Because they're, they're different parts of the body. You know, we fit together. We've got different strengths. We've got different gifts, different abilities. But God wants us to run this race together to experience the fullness of all he has for us. God's heart is for the fullness. For you to live life and life to the full, life abundantly. That's what Jesus said. That's why I came. I came so they would have life and life abundantly. To not live this like half free life or partially free life. I came so that they have a completely free life. So that they'd experience joy they never dreamed of. Peace they never dreamed of. It's for everyone. It's for everyone in this room. And... I'm going to close up. I got to, I got to close up right away. Taking a lot of time tonight. Uh, Johnny, why don't you jump on the guitar?